Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. morning everybody welcome back to mental health today uh, this is a podcast really all about uh, people in the mental health space either their journey or their you know their personal journey on mental health or their you know their kind of personal slash corporate journey uh, on finding solutions and kind of seeing what they can do to help uh, with the mental health crisis so this uh, the show is sponsored by the jar foundation uh, the little commercial uh, that you air quotes that you saw there is for my jar podcast uh, traveling to 111 cities, interviewing 444 people. And in, about halfway through that process, I did see, you know, really summation of this mental health crisis that I saw personally face to face and hearing so many, you know, really great stories of people overcoming um, their own personal crisis or traumas um, or just, you know, kind of growing and learning about themselves. So it's a great, it was a great, uh, you know, first half of the JAR journey. I'm keeping that going. And this show started on March 3rd uh, to really to kind of just bring a whole palette of different people, different backgrounds in the mental health space and have some conversations. So Chris, you know, with, that's my intro for me, um, how I got here. And, you know, so we've got Chris today as a guest and uh, kind of excited to hear to hear the story, Chris, you've got, you got some interesting, be an interesting story. Let's see how long we go. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? It sounds good, Ken. Thanks for having me on. So my name is Chris Larson. I'm a reporter for behavioral health business. And my work for the last 18 months has been covering the uh, totality of the behavioral health, you know, business industry. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, inclusive, inclusive of things, you know, like psychiatric care, mental health, autism therapy, addiction treatment, uh, and also dabbling a little bit in the intellectual and developmental hmm. ability space. But, you know, mostly my work focuses on those previous, you know, you know, four, okay. uh, you know, four categories. And Treat, I think, really treatment side. Yeah. On the, on the treatment side, at right. the end of the day, where, what my coverage, you know, looks at is the specific bounds of the industry that's trying to help people address those things that are related to more or less the health of their their brain and their body. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we see causing a lot of problems in the uh, behavior health sphere are some clearly definable and some clearly treatable yes. aspects of their of health that could be addressed if people were able to if people are able to access them. Uh, yeah. I've been doing this work for like I said about 18 months but then I've been covering healthcare for the last 5 years or so. Okay. Very interesting. I, I love what you said about this stuff is treatable, right? I mean, what you said, you, did you give a number on that? 80, 80% you said if, if they have access? Yeah. So I don't, I don't have like a specific number, but okay. a lot of what we're talking about when it comes to, you know, conditions that are persistent or something that is n negatively impacting somebody's life yeah. okay. can be helped. And one of the the biggest barriers to people actually getting health, both are the uh, social and financial dynamics, whether they're mm -hmm. able to actually get it in the first place and whether they're able to, you know, to afford access. But even if you have means to get to a place where you can get help with your mental health, 
in the United States, stigma is still probably the biggest deterrent. People aren't willing yeah. to admit that there's something wrong with them because for so many years, we're talking about you know hundreds of years, people have equated some mental illness with either crazy failing or a uh, an indication mm -hmm. of character or some kind of indication that that person did something wrong right, in, a, right. you know, in a religious context. So if somebody is troubled in the mind or they're, or if they're struggling with, you know, a substance use addiction for a long time, that was seen as that person's a bad person and it's manifesting yes. in that way. Not this person is someone that needs help. Yeah. It's changing and it's been changing at an accelerating pace for a long time, but it's not at the point where it's readily understood that if there's something bad going on with you in, you know, internally that you can actually go get help. God, mind-boggling that the stigma is, <laughs> and you know, I talk to you know in different communities too, you know different um, different racial groups. The the stigma is also you know pretty high. Um, so it's also it seems like it's going to take some time to shake the stigma out um, all the way through. Yeah, and there's there's a great actual there's a great um, proxy. It's not like a genuine like indicator I, of you know, of rates or what the stigma actually looks like, but you can kind of squint your eyes and tilt your head a little bit and see what the disparities look like across racial lines. The CDC recently put out uh, new data that looks at what percentage of both, you know, racial groups and by gender report having an antidepressant uh, prescription. Okay. So okay. The, the highest rate of people who report having a prescription for it, you know, for some kind of antidepressant or something that helps with depressive symptoms is among white women at about ballpark 50, 15, one, five, 15 percent. And, and that is about double the rate of, you know, of white men. Now, if you take the averages across all races, again, you get you get to a pretty close yeah. where it's not quite twice as many women as men do in the United States have, um, you know, have a uh, prescription for a depression medication that those are interesting and illustrative numbers but the bigger picture thing that i take away from that is that helps you identify who's actually willing to engage yes, yes. help agree agree generally speaking again not universally true but these data do indicate that there is an appearance that men are less likely and less willing mm. to go and engage with the healthcare system and trying to get help with their mental illness if they have one yeah it's, I, I love this, you know, because it's a lot of still a mystery, right? So getting in there and trying to, like you said, look at the data um, to, to make some rough guesses, right? Some, some intimations of what's happening. Um, are you reporting even you're on a national level? That's right. And then are you working? Do you some of the research or articles you may work, you work with the government as well on on what's the, any change? Are you reporting on any changes in the industry, or what's your what's been the late latest kind of angle? Yeah, so not not so much that I like you know like that, that I work with the government. And if I'm being completely honest, anything that has anything to do with the government is incredibly loath to give up information about either what they're going to do in terms of policy, and even sometimes it's hard to actually get research out of them. Really, uh, but I do. Yeah, uh, there are. I mean, this is a whole other podcast, but. <laughs> you know, there was reporting by a publication called The Intercept that specializes in trying to extract the hardest to get at types of information, both from 
public entities like the federal government, state governments, but also private entities. And uh, last year, they reported that the federal government has the expectation that the psychedelic compounds MDMA and psilocybin will be commercially available at some point in the middle of 2024. So commercially available. Wow. There are there are companies that are putting forward uh, formulations of these drugs that are specifically geared toward treating PTSD and depression. So psilocybin, the indication that there is for depression, then MDMA is there's a specific treatment that's specifically geared to and isolated to PTSD on the MDMA side. And uh, that information wouldn't have been publicly available were it not for the investigative work of the, uh, of the, the interceptors. Intercept, yeah. So there's, let me actually tell you a little bit about, um, you know, you know why, why I bring that up and why that's relevant yeah. to the kind of work that I do and trying to cover the industry. Mm. Yes. Uh, and also trying to, that by illustrate, by tell, talking about this, I'll be able to illustrate how my work fits into the bigger picture of behavioral okay. health. Okay. So there is in, in my mind, a, not so much a lack of awareness of the industry, but I think there is a lack of awareness about how the industry works, what its motivators are, what its trends are, what its opportunities are, and what its challenges are. So my most recent uh, article that I wrote was about how psychedelics uh, could or should be positioned within the behavioral health market to maximize their impact. Okay. So the long and the short of that article is that psychedelics, even though they're held up as this revolution in mental health care, and I believe that they can be, they still need to be positioned and supported and enabled and helped by the traditional psychiatry mm-hmm. because these, these compounds that we're talking about are one incredibly powerful two they're fundamentally different than what we have on the market in terms of oh, yes for sure in terms of in terms of like actual um, medications but these are these are medications that aren't just you give a prescription you go home you actually need to go to a center, hang out for six to eight yes. hours while you go on your trip. If I yeah. if I can borrow some just slang, that's not I wouldn't show it's that's not going to show up in the in the in the professional nomenclature. But you actually go in to get a very specific intervention that takes a lot of time that has a powerful, uh, you know, is a very powerful medicine, and that needs to be positioned in a sphere where there are medical professionals that are explicitly and yes. trained at the highest levels to handle this kind of brain treatment. Yep. Um, there's an interesting corollary on what not to do with psychedelics and psychedelic like uh, medicines and treating mental health. So for example, there is providers can prescribe and do ketamine treatments for uh, treatment resistant depression in the United States. This is an off label use of a very well established, well understood drug. And, but unfortunately as a business, this is, struggled to get national traction within organizations. There have been any number of smaller, more local or city-based or or city-focused organizations Mm -hmm. that have succeeded in setting up ketamine treatment centers. But you have very specific examples of actually a company called Ketamine Wellness Centers and then a company called Field Trip that have just been obliterated in their business operations because one, there isn't enough awareness in the United States that these medications are available. Yeah, And two, they took on incredible you know, in, they took on incredible financial burdens like debt and, ta- and taking on, uh, you know, money from investors, which is the fundamental ethos of all business in the United States. And they just weren't able to produce yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. So the too early, probably too exactly, early. Exactly right. And we have, I have a, the, that's the analysis that several people have presented that these people were too early, but unfortunately, but even though these organizations failed, that doesn't mean that ketamine 
as a form of treatment is gone. It's just that, unfortunately, the groundwork and the um, education that they per, that they uh, put into the market is going to benefit somebody else that comes after them. <laughs> yes, I, I incidentally I interviewed um, uh, a a group uh, a small a small ketamine treatment center in Colorado on this show. And um, I'm going to go in for a treatment when I'm there, when I'm in Colorado to, to, to see, to see, but you're right. And, and I've also interviewed somebody else around the psychedelic side, the more traditional um, psychedelics, exactly what you were just describing. And it's incredibly expensive because yeah. like you said, you need to have a therapist there for about six to eight, you know, depending upon what kind of, what kind of, you know, air quote trip you go on, you know, what kind of a, a treatment you get. You, you might need somebody there for six, seven, eight hours. And that's not cheap, you know, because they're, they're a professional. Yeah. And I mean, that was actually part of the, it's actually part of the problem of the, of, you know, ketamine. And it, it's a similar problem within the, the psychedelics model, but because psychedelics aren't available commercially on the market yet, we really don't know what the dynamics are going to look like. So we have to look to something else like ketamine to get to some get, lessons yeah. learned. And the big problem is that most insurance plans, and this is how most people actually access uh, healthcare and mental health care in the United States, they're not going to cover a ketamine treatment because it's that off-label use yeah. uh, of another drug. So if you're paying purely out of pocket, you're looking at a minimum hundreds of dollars for the appropriate course of treatment, if not thousands on top Th of it. Th like, thousands. Not, yeah, it's not unheard of to have a course of IV and ketamine treatment, total $5,000. That limits... That limits how <laughs> you can get to it to you know, more or less you're rich and powerful, right? So there's a lot of these kind of places like L.A., New York, where, where Steamboat, or somewhere in Colorado, right? Exactly. In Colorado, right? I'm sure it's in I'm okay. sure it's in a beautiful place. Yeah, they're where they're able to accommodate people who can just drop five thousand dollars on a treatment that they that they need, and even for providers that are on the lower end, it's there still just aren't that many people that can just fork out a hundred, you know, multiple even, yeah, even if it's five hundred dollars, right? For you know, and also I get this, you know, you get this indication that um, people pushing for the psilocybin and the mushroom stuff, you know, the the psychedelics and, you know, there's going to be, it's going to be like the weed thing. You know, I just get this thing where it's going to be a million, you know, shops opening up at the distribution's going to go crazy. There'll be some big players and then it'll all just, you know, collapse on itself again. Yeah. That's kind of that the boom bust kind of a thing we're going to have to, because the weed industry is going through that right now. You know where there's just everybody thought they were going to become billionaires, and yeah, um, right. I mean that's that's nature of like not just business. That's also kind of the nature of nature. There's you look, <laughs> I mean just like like zoom way out. Like 65 million years ago, the world was dominated by dinosaurs, and then something happened, and now here here come humans that are the prevailing species on the United States. So there's always there's always boom and bust cycles. Yeah. Of, it's just kind of the nature of life, the nature of nature, and within the world of you know in the world of business and specific to um, you know, to you know, marijuana, you know, ketamine, no matter what it is, there's going to be the highs and the lows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that there is something really important to uh, the conversations that we're having here, you know, on, on your podcast with, you know, with mental health today and what I'm doing in behavioral business is creating a place that articulates exactly what the nature of these uh, booms and bust cycles actually mm -hmm. look like and try to put them in a context of like what that what that means both for you know the folks that are more focused on the business side who are 
ultimately my my kind of core readers, but anybody else who's curious about the underpinnings of an industry that yes. has the potential and actually does impact the life of you know yeah. many people. So bringing it full circle and kind of bringing it back to something I said I would talk about a couple of minutes ago, my role as a reporter at Behavioral Health Business is to identify what these trends are, what these cycles okay. are, try to put as much context and explain them as clearly and as compellingly as possible in a way that will help people navigate the yeah. you know you know the, the at least the business aspect of make the, the business to make better business decisions and yeah hopefully and, and while that's my primary readership but there is ultimately value to anybody who's seeking a deeper understanding and knowledge of the world around them so even if mm. someone you know is just you know they one of the tests that you know that i use in my mind is is steve and it going to find this interesting or is bill you know the the you know the ceo of a local addiction treatment provider going to be more interested in this story and while i tend to write a little bit more for Bill, I'm always looking for ways to simplify my yes. uh, writing in a really complex, wonky, jargon-filled industry <laughs> language that Steve and IT could understand as well. I, I love that. And so how, how does your business work? You Is this your, is this your company that you've no, you started just, or you're working? You're, you're Okay. You're, yeah. And then how do people find you and how do they find the business? And, you know, because this, this is a show for mental health professionals. Um, there's a good chance that some of the people listening or watching ultimately um, would want to would want to find you. Yeah, I mean, it's really simple. Go to, to uh, bhbusiness.com. That's where we publish everything. Mm-hmm. And we uh, package everything that we write into three uh, newsletters that we put on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then a Friday roundup look back. That's all the hits from uh, the week before. And we also to ask your question on like how the you know how the business works. There's you know there's there's a couple couple components that are probably pretty intuitive. So we have, uh, so we have our website that's kind of the okay. hub or like the foundation you know of the business. People sell banner ads there and do all like kind of the normal advertising stuff. We give people we give uh, businesses the opportunity to like if they have white papers to you know, publish oh, those okay. on our website. We'll even pay to help. Well, we have a separate department. There's a nice wall between the journalism part that I do and more of the um, like advertising and edit and advertorial stuff that um, people can pay to you know put on our website. So if like somebody is really interested in writing a white paper about this new product that they've developed and they think it's really good, but it's ultimately a commercial endeavor. Yes. You know, yes. Someone can pay to like put an article on the site and we'll label okay. that as like, you know, this is part of our. Yeah. Like paid ad. It's paid promotion, I guess. Promotion. The, the, <clears throat> big part of our business though is actually events so just by the nature just by the nature of my work i inadvert just just inadvertently naturally foster relationships with lots of people and build a and a nascent community around people who are interested in trying to keep up with the latest in the behavioral health industry so we translate that into real relationships by getting people together multiple times a year at business at uh these business behavioral health business oriented events. So the big one that we're working on now is called invest and that'll be in, in, in Chicago in October where people who are trying to find the latest and trying to connect with other people like themselves in the industry, but are you know ultimately limited because you can only build an in-person network where you actually are. But if they're interested in getting connected with people all across the nation, they can come to these events, get FaceTime with their peers from all over the country for, you know, it'll be a day and a half event. So on top of, you know, all the normal, you know, writing, posting the website, doing the, doing, you know, uh, you know, ads and stuff like that, we actually, you know, host events that people can sponsor, people can get together 
And those events are really, really powerful in a lot of that's oh, there's if you if you get like especially when we've I think you've got a crisis, right? When you and you've got people who are passionate and they come together, physically come together, right? And because you know, a lot of us are working alone, right? We're grinding away in our own little our own little silos and our own little spaces and you know, trying to do some good stuff and then for a chance to meet another human who's also, you know, in the game, right? In the fight. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that's powerful. This is, I, I'd love to go. This is in, in October in Chicago. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go for sure. Get to the website and, and start poking around. Sign me up. Yeah. Sign me one up. Of the, you know, one of the big things that, um, you know, that, that this work does on top of, you know, the writing on top of the, on top of the events. Um, it really, I think at the end of the day helps to accelerate the, the deeper understanding that everybody needs to have about the nature of the behavioral health industry. Um, it's an industry that I believe is, has never been more important to uh, the collective society that we all share, mm -hmm. but has been probably one of the least understood, least invested and most compartmentalized parts of the healthcare system. Like you're talking about, like, I think, you know, the, like for, for something, just to give you like a wild example, like the last lobotomy was in the United States was like performed in the sixties. Right. It's mind boggling. It is. And like, you, they were still sticking shit into people's brains and poking around and stirring yeah. it up like an egg. Exactly. And Whoa. then like, it's something like just something as pedestrian as, you know, the, 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 and, and pedestrian, I just mean like, it's a common experience of not being able to get into a psychiatrist or a therapist without a really long wait time is emblematic of a lack of investment from several several parts of the industry on actually making sure that there are enough mental health professionals to meet people. So that's another it's example crazy, of the right? compartmentalized and isolated nature of the behavioral health industry. That's very, yeah, it, it is. And for me, you know, the realization, looking at some of the numbers and realizing how pathetically underserved they are, how how really low those numbers are, uh, the therapists available to treat people just as a percentage of what we estimate we need. And, and then realizing that there is no chance in hell to scale that. Um, you know, I, I, I see a lot of investment happening and I see a lot of, you know, companies investing a ton of money to buy shops. And it looks like there's a lot of, you know, consolidation going on and people picking up pieces, um, so it looks like business is paying attention. The opportunity there, I'm guessing the federal money's coming, you know, people can smell the opportunity. Um, but man, we need these, we need these remote, we need way, way more points of service and we need them quicker. And I, and I think that's kind of what kind of got me excited about getting into the space and finding out what are people doing and how are we going to serve people? Yeah. And I, I, I think there is, I think there actually is a chance that we might have to go through hell to get there. Uh, there is a chance to actually create a system where just about everybody's, you know, needs are met and they're and it's coming to yeah. a certain degree. Like you look at a lot of the investment that has come into specifically the digital health space. Yes. The last couple of years. So like, for example, 2021 saw about $5 billion worth of venture capital investment for new okay. companies, new, new access. Yep. Got to it. Health. And um, that's, development and that investment on the telehealth side on the virtual side okay. helps maximize what we have in the market right now but there is 
you know, a fundamental problem within mental health that mental health actually can't solve on its own or the behavioral health industry can't solve on its own. And that is the, the shortage of providers. Yes. So where do, where do providers come from? They actually don't come from the healthcare industry. They come from academia, right? So if someone is yeah. going to be, if someone's going to get into healthcare, they don't just show up at a clinic, say, Hey, I want a job and then get going. Yeah. You have to go to college. They have to, yeah, yeah. Just for purpose. you have to at least get a master's level degree and then also go through the ardor of, becoming certified and getting all the state clearances and board yep. clearances to actually do that job. That's an incredibly hard, expensive, and there's actually really weird gaps between getting education and getting board certification where you pretty much have to like work for free or just like be okay not making any money before <laughs> you can actually become a clinician because you have to like you have to spend all these hours doing clinicals and shadowing and things like that. So the so there's this weird split between the problem and the solution where the yeah. problem in the behavioral health industry is not as clinicians, but you actually have to look to a completely different industry to get the clinician in the first place to, to solve your problem. And that's being worked on you know, to, you know, to, to a degree, but there's, those are problems that are going to need to be addressed fundamentally by, you know, state governments, city governments, universities, colleges, the federal government. And these are not entities that move quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, none remember, of that stuff moves fast or, I, or, in, or, together yeah, very no, well they don't they don't at all in in previous uh, reporting work you know i've covered state governments and i've also covered higher education and I, and I can tell you you know if you can get something done in five years in that industry everyone's going to be slapping each other on the back and saying oh man we got this done in great time you know <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's completely oh. different and completely divorced from the lives that we all live and even the even the world of business, which moves at the speed of people. Uh, yeah. I think that, you know, for me, I think the digital health part, and I've interviewed so many people that have got apps or either an app that they're using to help people self-regulate or, or to self, um, to kind of be self-aware, to learn uh, to the digital dialing in to see a therapist, right? The remote treatment and different types of that, either individual and group. So I think there is there is some good there is some good movement, and I think if we get employers involved, I think employers are a key to, you know, helping with access and stigma, can kind of help reduce the stigma if the employers you know start to, you know, this one thing. Look, you could you could literally, as an employer, you could mandate people take a little simple, ten point system check once a year. You know you you know make it maybe not mandatory, but you, you know, you, you could put enough effort behind it where 90% of the company would, would go into the website and, and do their 10 point check. And then, you know, you could have anybody that's below a certain number would get an invite to go, you know, join a group session or, you know, something light touch mm -hmm. and to see how much you could move that dial on a, you know, let's say you had a 10,000 person company. If you could move it from an average of, you know, 6.2 to eight, Imagine the productivity you gains, the mistakes that wouldn't be made, the the called in sick, but they're not really sick physically, the physical health that comes out of being having men, you know, having stress and you know having mental health issues, you know, gives you disease. Absolutely, and I mean, like in especially with you know large employers, if you're talking about just a few percentage points, you know, that's hundreds of people. So just for your example, that'd be 800 people getting help as opposed to say 600 people. Getting Whoa. Help. Like, like, wow. Right. Yeah. Like, and you're, you're actually, you're right on, you're right on where a lot of the uh, digital mental health space is going. Um, because 
it's so hard to differentiate yourself as a telehealth company or as a virtual health company in a world that is completely flooded with apps and other various tech gadgets and websites. So what, what has been the problem for going to consumers directly to give, to put good and innovative solutions in front of them is that people are bombarded constantly with things that they'll be told will help with their mental health. And it's hard to differentiate between something between an app that's more or less like a glorified journal, as opposed to an app that will connect you with like a therapist, but then also have all the digital tools as well that supplement that. And what you've actually seen in the digital health space over, over the last three years, especially is an accelerated flip to these companies working with insurance plans and then working with employers. Yes. A great um, kind of bellwether for this, just because they're a publicly traded company and are mandated to put out a lot more data about their mm-hmm. operation than some of their private peers is a company called Talkspace. You know, they're, they got, okay. their start, got their start in 2012 and their whole thing for a long time was just text-based therapy. And then that evolved into a, a company that offered a whole panoply of digital services. And, you know, ultimately they've, they've, they've struggled. Like a lot of the company, the company was growing really quickly and was able to float along with private investment dollars on this high level promise that, you know, they could solve a lot of the problems that are being presented in the behavior health space, primarily speed to care and limited access to providers in local communities. Okay. Will use the internet, you can talk to anyone anytime. It, it, the internet defeats time and space, yes. which is kind of a wild, wild thing to think about. So if you're able to use telehealth to get people connected to a you know a healthcare provider, you're, you're able to address a lot of the problems that are out there in the market. But the problem that Talkspace had is they're constantly turning over, constantly turning over uh, patients because these patients come, they go, sometimes they're cash pay, sometimes they have insurance, sometimes they don't. Sometimes their insurance took their took you know, worked with Talkspace. Sometimes they didn't. Hmm. And there was a, just a lot of a lot of churn is is the industry term, and they struggled financially. Um, they've made a big transition into working with uh, to working with employers and health plans, and that has done so many things. One, it has helped them stabilize their business so they can yep. be more viable. They can be around. They can help more people for longer. But they've also been able to grow the number of people that, A, they served literally, that they've actually provided services to. But they've also increased the access to mental health care by working with your, these organizations. Because, you know, you're, as you alluded to, like, in, you know, in a company of maybe, say, 100,000, of 10,000 people, 10,000 people, maybe 5 or 6% of them, like, need the services and, will, and, yeah. and are willing to engage. Yes, and so, are willing but if they don't even have the opportunity in the first place, nobody will be able to get access to those services. So by working with a, a health plan, a health you know, a payer, or by working with a, you know, a company, you're able to very conveniently build the structures that actually allow people to, to succeed in the first place. But, you know, you, you really can't do that direct to consumer. You just got to spend a ton and a ton of money trying to advertise and get in front of people and hope they show up hope they engage and hope they stay with you as opposed to, or if you're going to a setting like, like an employer, all the structures are already there and there's already a major incentive for these employers to engage with people yes. frequently. Yep. And there's a great incentive for them to engage with these people to be like, Hey, use this resource. It'll help you. It'll help us. It'll help everybody. I, I, I think the employer is, is really one of the best points of entry for people. Um, I, there was a company I interviewed, I think it was called June. Mm-hmm. And it's a group there. It's a digital uh, delivery uh, remote and it's group based. So it's, it's group therapy. 
So you go, you know, you can go search um, loss, you know, loss of a loved one, uh, spousal loss, and you join in and there's a, you know, there'll be a, on Thursdays at 10 a.m., there's a, you know, there's a group that meets and they chit chat. Uh, and so you can go join any one of these kind of group therapy and there's a, a therapist there and, you know, maybe 10 or 12 participants. And I, I love it because you can, if you want to engage, you can be up on the stage. If you want to sit there and, you know, dim your screen and just listen and hear support, hear other people going through what you're going through and be quiet, you can totally sit on the sidelines and just listen. Um, anyway, it's kind of, and it's through the, and they switch their marketing from retail to employers and they're working directly with employers now. Absolutely. There's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's a lot of wins, you know, a lot of great opportunities, especially in the group therapy space. Uh, one of the problem, one of the problems though, is that I don't think a lot of people under the, just speaking very generally and in broad yes. stroke, yes. un, unhelpful and sometimes uninformed as that is, I don't think group therapy is actually an, op is an option that a lot of people recognize as being relevant to them. But I would yeah. actually say that like more, there are a lot of people that would benefit from engaging in group therapy where they're in a moderated setting where they can both engage, but also be educated on yes. their specific thing that they're working on. And you gave a great example with like spousal loss that is actually probably better for them, but then in big picture gets more people, more help as opposed to doing one-on-one -on -one therapy. Yeah, like, you I'm don't have enough therapists. I mean, the other just practically, right. we don't have enough therapists. You know, so you ha you have to go to you know you don't have to, but I mean there'd be some people. Obviously, there's people who need one on one, and you may be able to do group and one on one. You know, it may be a combination, but you don't need to see your therapist, you know, every three days because you're you know twice a week you're in a group session. So I can see my therapist twice a month, maybe. And you're, and you're just getting helps. You're getting at some of the creative things that we're starting to see come more to the fore. Like these options have like always been there. Group therapy is not new. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been around for a long time. And then other innovative models like peer supports, like fundamentally, they've been around for a long time, but they haven't been formalized, fostered mm -hmm. and built up and promoted in ways that are similar to yeah. more well-established forms of, of behavioral health intervention. But those are coming. They're still still relatively nascent, like at scale, like at a, at a large level or within organizations that are really good, for example, mm -hmm. doing those specific things. Uh, but but that's changing. And that's one of the more interesting things about my work is that I'm in an industry that is growing up really quickly. Yes. Um, it's being forced to grow up really quickly and yeah. growing pains, but it's one that is so essential, but also so dynamic. And while I, you know, I know what the problems are and I know we've kind of talked about them here. I think that there are so many opportunities for solutions and there are so many opportunities for this to get better for so many people that it gives me a lot of hope and a lot of optimism i i i wholeheartedly agree and in the <clears throat> and kind of the joy and the pleasure i think for you is is being you know grinding in this industry for a few years and then all of a sudden starting to see whoa i'm in the right place at the right time like i'm going to be able to see this happen i'll be able to see the change um and and be part of it how about some what are you going to work on? I mean, what's, what's hot now? So closing thoughts, maybe we're, you know, holy cow for, for uh, not sure we could get to, to 25 minutes, 30 minutes. We got to 35 pretty easily. Um, what are you working on next or what, 
an a or a closing message? I mean, maybe I'll give you just some thoughts, either a closing message or what's next or do I'll do a little bit of both. So what's next for me? I'm working on um, I'm working on a couple of stories. I'm going to be writing about the place of generative AI in the behavioral health space. Oh, interesting. Also going to be exploring the uh, dynamic between uh, health insurance and therapists specifically. This is this is an area that gets talked about a lot, but there's not a lot of yep. like kind of formalized you know discussion around the issue. And in terms of like closing messages and closing thoughts, I think that there needs to be a wider understanding you know, both within the behavioral health industry itself and anybody who is interested in or engages with it, that it is indeed, uh, you know, it is a business and that it's impacted by and, and driven and influenced by the same types of issues, challenges, mm -hmm. and opportunities that other businesses do. But at the same time, because of this mm -hmm. dynamic, there are great opportunities for increasing access, for innovation, for doing things better and yeah. different than we've done it before. And mental health, behavioral health, addiction treatment, autism therapy, they all come back to a fundamental need. And that is a need for improved connection and improved access to the things that help people get better. And while we're not there yet, I really think that we're, that we will eventually get to a place where if one, someone wants the care, they can get to it. Yeah. And I think, man, that's the powerful statement right there. If somebody wants the care, they can get it. And we're, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, but like you said, there is a lot of hope, right? There's a lot of, definitely looks like a lot going on. Um, I'm, I'm super excited to have, to have met you, Chris. Um, you know, honestly, there's a lot of, a lot of things spinning in my head, ideas. And uh, first one is, uh, is to follow up on a, an original idea from when I, maybe my third guest, um, which is to maybe do a panel one time. You know, because you know, you know, some great people in the industry. It'd be cool to think of a topic, and maybe it is to maybe it's to follow up on one of your your articles uh, to kind of give it some juice and put four or five people that have, are affected by the article um, in a panel and just have a you know get on here for forty five minutes and and shoot the breeze and talk about how we you know what should we be doing different and who should we be contacting next and hey can we get some legislators on here and punk them out. You know, let's get some, I'm, I'm all about calling people to the table and seeing, you know, what are you working on? When's, you know, why does it take so long here? Let's put the four people together that control the four parts that don't talk to each other and get them on the show and ask them, you know, exchange phone numbers. Let's, you know, let's get moving. Um, you know, I, I just love to brainstorm with you on anything, any way we can use platforms to, to kind of keep things moving and, and to help you know, to help the industry, which is ultimately really designed, we're trying to help people get access and get the cost to an effective place. Yeah, I'd love to engage. Yeah, thanks. So thanks. Uh, really, thanks a lot, Chris. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, thanks for sharing this. If you do uh, find us on the, the, the audio platforms, please do give us a like and, and share us here on these other live streams as well. Trying to grow the business a little bit, not really the business, but really grow the awareness um, of, of mental health and bring and bring all that into line. Uh, let me turn your banner off. Let's. Uh, I'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Why have I quit my job? Wrong one. Yeah, loose baby. But we're about to go and 
make this vessel with these great professionals yeah. in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from the outer family of glass blowing. Yeah, we're gonna go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.